I'm Paul Heron, and this is the second Ani Isnin podcast. Today we'll take a look at the demise of one of the greatest literary love affairs in history, the one between Ani Isnin and Henry Miller. There's a misconception that Neen and Miller never really broke up, that they remained close for life, at least on some level. Not so. Not only was there a breakup, it was a fiery one carried out in long and passionate letters, all of which can be found in Mirages, the unexpurgated diary of Ani East Neen, 1939-1947. Today we'll examine some of these letters and find out how the end came about. First, a little history. As you probably know, Neen and Miller met in 1931 at Neen's home in Lucien, France, when neither had yet to publish a book. They quickly became lovers, and perhaps more importantly, supporters of each other's writing. During their eight-year Paris relationship, both published important early works, She, House of Incest, and The Winter of Artifice, and He, Tropic of Cancer, Black Spring, and Tropic of Capricorn. They encouraged each other, helped each other, and remained ardent lovers. When war threatened, Miller fled to Greece in the summer of 1939, but Neen perceived this as a sort of abandonment. By December of the same year, she and her husband fled to New York. By the time Miller finally came to New York in 1940, Neen felt emotionally detached from him. They resumed their affair, but Neen was feeling less and less of a bond. Miller, who was destitute, began to write erotica for a man named Barnett Reuter for a dollar a page. This quickly became drudgery for him, and he passed off the arrangement to Neen and some of her friends. Neen was financially supporting Miller as well as another lover and various starving artists, so she was desperately short of money. Her husband gave her a monthly allowance for household bills, groceries, and so on, but it was almost immediately consumed by the hangers-on. Tired of her husband scolding and having to lie about where the money went, she was very happy to write for a dollar a page. In the meantime, Miller signed a contract with New Directions to do a book on America, which required him to travel all over the country for material. When he departed, Neen once again felt abandoned and unappreciated. She continued writing the erotica and continued supporting Miller, but her patience was beginning to wear thin. In March of 1941, Miller interrupted his tour of America and returned to New York because his father had died. Neen sought to console him and temporarily forgot her anger. She writes in her diary, Laughing with a hundred of Reuter's dollars in my pocket, I went to Henry, who was waiting for me in bed. I said to him, When you return, if you still want to marry me, we will get a place and live together. I will leave Hugo. Miller, rightly, did not believe her. In June 1941, Neen records the following in her diary. Henry's in Hollywood and refuses to do script writing at $200 a week. Henry never tells himself that writing scripts for Hollywood would unburden Ani East. No child ever thinks of unburdening the mother. Henry has not tried to find other protectors. He wants protection with love and understanding for someone who lets him be free. I have never asked him to accept the Hollywood offer, which is merely for money, and Henry has never done anything for money. By October 1941, Neen was making a list of reasons why she should break with Miller. 
He stayed months in Hollywood when it was not necessary for the book. He showed reluctance at returning to New York because he would have to see his mother and face the problem of the rejection of his book on America and feel again the association of New York to his past. And it took him a month to return. When I arrived, Henry himself was timid and nervous. He sought my mouth and I turned it away. I was tense, quiet. I looked at him, feeling, I am free of him. Neen planted the seed of separation. I said to him, Perhaps the time has come to free you of me. You were happier out west, liberated of restrictions brought about by my marriage. He asserted that his integrity prevented him from doing scenario writing in Hollywood. At last I said, And what of my integrity, doing the writing for Reuter all last winter? Henry laughed, admitted the paradox, the contradictions, the injustice, laughed again, and dismissed it. This situation dragged on for another year, and by November 1942, Miller had been ensconced in the Hollywood home of mutual friends, the Neemans, for five months. He clumsily tried to convince Neen she didn't have to struggle in New York, that she could live a humble life with him in Hollywood, as if the money would somehow magically appear. The man was living completely on charity at this point, and Neen thought he failed to acknowledge that she was his primary benefactor. She also felt he was irrational. Miller says in a letter to Neen, written November 17, 1942, I'm going to make an effort to convert you to my way of thinking. In some ways, you know, you're a fatalist. About this thing, living in the right place, the right climate, nothing on earth can convince me that I'm wrong. I look to New York with loathing. Two days, such as these last two, wipe out years of living in New York. And you must realize I'm not crazy when I say this. And I say it, living an incomplete life. I haven't had a taste of sex since I've been out here. And oddly enough, it doesn't bother me. You know... I meet more people who know Frida Lawrence than you can shake a stick at. They all tell me what a wonderful life she leads up there in New Mexico. Somehow Frida has solved her problems, in a very humble way. You seem to get frightened whenever I mention this. I don't know what it is, whether you need the cultural elements more than I, or what. All I can tell you is I have grown to appreciate the life of the country these last few years. I don't need the cities anymore. You can always have music and books, even in the most remote places. And sometimes it's good to not have even these, but rather to be thrown completely on your own. This letter, along with a half-hearted offer to come to New York and get a job, prompted Neen's scathing response, written a few days later. Henry, your letter this morning made me very angry. I'm responsible for that blindness. You start all over again to exult in the life you lead, and then you dare to say to me, when I speak of this life, this humble life, you get frightened. You seem to need the cultural background, as if it were a choice for me, a simple choice. What is this humble life of yours? You admit it's possible because of the Neemans in me. Then it's not a humble life. It has a basis on dependence. Then you go on converting me to it. What a clever woman Frida is. Yes, of course. What do you expect me to do? I'm tired of repeating that I do not choose to stay in New York. I do not choose to struggle. You think I can take your attitude. 
At whose expense? If I can only get my liberation by staying at somebody's house and letting someone struggle for me, I don't want it. For a long time I have been fully aware of our separation. My saying at first only happens because I always see first. The last straw was your thoroughly irresponsible remark about sex. It isn't in anger I say this, but I don't want you to return. A friend told me that you said you were never returning to New York. I should have long ago given you the ultimate liberation. The time has come. I do not want you to return. I don't want to bring you back to any place you loathe. You do not and never have made your life around me by the climate of my presence. You are now complete by yourself. I say this without pain or anger. You've prepared me for this. Your passivity created my struggle. I like the easy life just as much as you do. You never recognized that my struggle was at the basis of your magnificent renunciations and independences. You mocked the people who struggled. You said, look, look how I do it. And it was all utterly crazy and inhuman. You think your way of life is wisdom, but it isn't. It's the way of life permitted to those who are protected by someone else's struggle. That's all. There's no triumph or conquest in it. It's a crystallization of the ego, that's all. I repeat it, Henry. I do not want you back. There's no need of it. I have my own plans, and it won't be Hollywood. This is not a surprise or a shock. You mustn't be concerned. This separation has been going on since you went to Greece. I've been fully aware of it. Your letters have effectively detached me from you. They are more revealing than you know. Believe me when I say I feel completely detached, and you are free to live as you please. Only, I do not want any more letters on this subject. I shall be grateful not to hear any more about the foolishness of my struggles, my love of the city, my refusal to live an enchanted life at the cost of begging. That I shall be thankful for. I didn't want a separation to come out of a quarrel, but that's how it happens. One suddenly discovers after ten years that one is fundamentally misunderstood, which means not loved, and there you are. I'm very definite about this, however, and it's not anger which makes me do it, but complete delusion, and that can't be altered. Sooner or later, you are going to be alone, for your efforts were never towards union, but towards aloneness. The time has come. Miller was utterly stunned by the letter and began a series of long, rambling responses, trying to bring Dean back to her senses, but she was firm and soon cut off all communication with him. It would take more than a dozen years before Annie Eastneen and Henry Miller reestablished a connection, but it was forever to be a shell of what it once was. For more on this topic... Read Mirage's The Unexpurgated Diary of Ani Isnin, 1939-1947, which can be found on iTunes, Amazon, and other retailers. This has been the Ani Isnin Podcast. Until the next time.